the reading of God's word would come from first, I mean, Second Thessalonians chapter one. Um, the exhorted text will be uh, verses five through seven, uh, the first part of seven. Uh, but I'm gonna back up and start from uh, verse three and actually read um, all the way to uh, verse 10, just for a good um, understanding of where we are at in this passage. The word of the Lord says, we ought always to give thanks to God for you brothers as is right, because your health is growing abundantly, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This, evidence of the, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord, realizing as we have just sung that there is much evil that is in our day, Lord, and it seems many, many people are getting away with it, Lord. But we know, Lord, that you know all and you see all. And we know, Lord, that you are indeed not mocked. You are sovereign. You hold everything by the word of your power, Lord. You know, Lord, you hold all, even your enemies, Lord, by the word of your power. And we know, Lord, that all things are for your glory. And so we pray, Lord, that as we are diving into this understanding of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray, Lord, that you would fill us with joy, fill us with comfort, but with our enemies, Lord, we pray that you would get, ask, we ask you, Lord, to grant them repentance unto life while there's still time. But in all things, Lord, we pray that you indeed will show us how the Lord Jesus Christ will finally be exalted upon all the earth as he is now seated at your right hand. May he get the glory in his worship service and may he get the glory as we look at this passage, we pray this in his name. Amen. Please be seated. I remember a member of this church came up to me and asked me, what is your favorite song? And I, and, you know, I told him the song we just sung, Psalm 73. And the reason why he, he asked that was because you can tell a lot about somebody about their personality and the thing, how spiritual they are by asking them what song they consider is their favorite. The song uh, that we just sung 
as you may, as you most of you may be aware, is a song by Asaph. Um, as he was looking at the enemies of God and how they were picking on those who are his people, but also prospering, it seemed like they were getting away with it. And Asaph was jealous. He was envious of the wicked. He was, and Asaph even described himself, he was like a beast before the Lord God. But then what happens? He enters into the sanctuary of God's most holy place, and he's reminded of the destruction that will come upon all who persecute God's people. And that's the reason why we sung this psalm, and that's why we're going to end the service by singing uh, that psalm. And of course, how he ends it, as our reward is always God himself, he ends it by saying, the Lord is my portion. Whom do I have in heaven but you, O Lord? And whom do I have on earth but you? My flesh and my heart will fail, but Lord, you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. In other words, we have a lot of people saying that God is all they need, but what Asaph is saying, God is all you have. And that is exactly what these Thessalonians, these Christians in Thessalonica needed to be reminded of. Let's take a step back and understand where this church came out of. This church came out of the city of Thessalonica, a city that was very prosperous, filled with a lot of resources. A lot of, there were a lot of people who were rich and made money. The Roman government really loved the city of Thessalonica. And then the Apostle Paul comes and brings them the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to the Jews and also to the Greeks. And what happens? Persecution came. People hated the gospel that Paul was bringing, except many, many other Gentiles that were in this church. And they believed and they trusted in the gospel of the Lord. And that is why we have a church. We have two letters here written to this church in Thessalonica called Thessalonians. And that's what we've been going over. And last week we went over how they were definitely uh, becoming persecuted uh, because of their love for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and their love for Jesus himself. And that is the reason why many people were persecuting them. But this passage right here is kind of a part two of, or part one of a two series of the understanding of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what we have here in the first uh, two and a half verses that we have here is that the affliction that the saints receive from the wicked in this life is evident that the judgment of Christ, the judgment of God is just. It gives evidence that the judgment of God is indeed just. This final judgment should comfort believers knowing that God will punish their enemies and give them rest. We will see this uh, explained in four points. Uh, the, afflict, the wicked's affliction is evidence of God's judgment being just. Point number two, the final judgment should comfort believers now. 
just as they comforted these Christians that were in Thessalonica. In the, then point number three, in the final judgment, God will give the wicked eternal affliction. affliction. Eternal affliction. And then in point number four, the final judgment, God will give his people rest. And so uh, point number one, the wicked, the wicked's affliction is evidence that God's judgment is indeed just. And we see this uh, explicitly in verse five uh, in the beginning. This is evidence, Paul says, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. Now, let's take a step back here and understand that Indeed, there is going to be a judgment. And I don't, under, maybe there's a lot of even Christians do not even emphasize this, even when we are evangelizing. There will be a second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that man, God man, will come and judge all men and women. Those who have done good, those who have believed the gospel, and have accepted it, accepted the gospel and received the righteousness of Christ, they go on into eternal glory. But those who have rejected the gospel, those who consider to persecute uh, the, the brothers and sisters who are in Christ, all those will indeed go into the eternal hellfire, which is the final hell. And so... God will have us confident that there is a day of judgment, and that judgment is already here. We see it now as many people are mocking the Christianity as we speak and enjoying and calling good evil and calling evil good. That is the beginnings of the judgment of God. But also, God sees fit to judge them uh, in, in many ways, in many nations, as they reject uh, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why some nations have, haven't been the same since, since they rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so God will have us confident that that day of judgment will come and that it's already here. It's actually here right now. As we are worshiping along with the, as, as believers, as believers in Christ Jesus, as the word of God is going forth, some people are getting worse and judged. And some people are getting better, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and moving from one part of faith to another, growing in their knowledge of the Lord. That happens every single Sunday, every single Lord's Day, even on Super Bowl Sunday, especially on Super Bowl Sunday, I would say, especially. <clears throat> So God will have us confident there is a day of judgment. The wicked will, but we also need to know that the wicked will afflict God's people. That's what we see in verse 4. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. It says, you can't take away it any part of this passage. Anyone who desires to live a godly life will be persecuted. It's already here. Sometimes we need to ask ourselves, is there really anything to persecute if we're not being persecuted? There is a sense where every, every person who calls upon the name 
of the Lord will experience affliction. They will have the enemies of God's people afflicting them in one shape or form. It can be in your family. It can be in, in, your, in, your, in school. It can be in, in many places that you work. It can be in the church as people uh, slander one another and judge one another motives. So yes, that is the affliction that comes upon all mankind. And we can see this as the implications of Genesis chapter three, verse 15. The seed of the woman will crush the seed of the serpent and the serpents shall bruise the, the, the seed of the woman, his heel, bruise his heel. And that's the story of Genesis. That's the story of Leviticus, Exodus, Leviticus. That's the story of all mankind. The war, the irreconcilable war between the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of Christ Jesus and all who are in him. That's the history of the world. And there are two camps. And so we do know that the wicked will afflict God's people. And the affliction proves that God's judgment is indeed just upon mankind. This, this judgment, as they will experience the eternal hellfire, and you hear this all the time, why would God allow for sinners to have an eternal punishment? Why would God punish his enemies? Isn't God a God of love? Well, yes, he is a God of love, but he's also a God of justice. He's, God's, he's a God of mercy but he's also a God of wrath and he will because he has decreed it have a moment where he will punish all the wicked for all eternity. And this right here proves that God's judgment is just because as they afflict punishment on God's people, God will inflict affliction upon them. It's, and we're going to get into that later, the poetry of that. Uh, but the wicked will receive justice without mercy. And because the punishment fits the crime. When I became a, a Christian, one of the most fearful doctrines that I ever witnessed or, or ever kind of understood, or, well, in some ways I still don't understand it, but one, one doctrine that made me just really become scared, and that is the eternality of God. He is outside of time. Time is a creation for him. There is no beginning. There is no ending with him. And so what is the consequence for sinning against an eternal God? There is an eternal consequence. On the flip side, what is, the, what is the consequence of trusting and believing in this eternal God? You get an eternal consequence of that. And that's why Jesus said, I offer you eternal life. And so that is the, the, the proof. Uh, justice will be clearly manifested, which is now obscure. Many people are getting away with persecuting Christians. They're slandering them, mocking them. And they don't receive things in this life that shows forth this justice. But this proves that there will be a day where these people will indeed experience the wrath of God. And I believe this is what Apostle Paul was talking about 
in Philippians chapter 1, verse 28. He tells them to not be frightened in anything by your opponents. Don't be frightened. Do not be scared. He said, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that is all from God. That's Philippians chapter 1, verse 28. And so the patient endurance of Christians in the midst of persecution is evidence how believers are rewarded with salvation, not of merit. It's not of merit, but it's all, it's all because they are in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They have the, his name upon them. He is their people. Again, what camp are you in? The kingdom of Satan or the kingdom of, of the Lord Jesus Christ? If you're in his kingdom, you are rewarded salvation. But unbelievers are rewarded destruction, and that is an eternal destruction. So that's point number one. The wicked, the wicked's affliction is evidence of God's judgment being just. And so those who doubt God, if you doubt God or doubt that or believe that God considers the evil that is in this world, turn to this passage. Understand that none of the wicked things that are happening in this world, nobody is getting away with it. The Lord sees all and he knows all. All these things are not happening by chance. There is a God who governs all the nations, governs all peoples, and he will indeed inflict judgment and, and give reward for those who are in him. And so the world is not governed by chance. God is deeply deeply concerned about what's happening in the Middle East. God is deeply, deeply concerned about what's happening in the churches in America. God is deeply, deeply concerned about what's happening in your life as people are mocking you, as people are slandering you. God is deeply, deeply concerned and he will, he will enact. But how often do you think of the justice of God? How often do you meditate upon that? You should do it daily. God is a just God. Whatever God does is right. Whatever God does is, is righteous. And therefore, everything that he does is something that to, is to be marveled at. We are to spend a lot more time adoring God in our prayers. Instead of just offering up petitions, I know we are needy people and we need petitions, but we need to spend time adoring God and his attributes. And one of the attributes we need to adore God for is definitely his justice. Because one day, and even now, he makes all things right. And that is for your comfort and that is for, so you can be strengthened as you go against all the persecutions and the afflictions that you go to that you go through. But notice this, that you are never to afflict anyone, anyone, but especially a Christian. Why is that? Because a Christian is a one that goes into this, goes through this, this reality with you. He is the, that Christian is the one that goes through persecution and affliction as you go through persecution and affliction as you experience these things. So you are to never, never afflict anyone, but especially a Christian. 
And if you slander your brother and sister in Christ, if you become the one that is slandering them, mocking them, afflicting them, that you're joining up with the wicked. And brothers and sisters, I tell you this, the darkest part of hell is for those who call themselves Christians and afflict other Christians. Those who pretended to believe that they are the covenant people of God, but they treated God's people as if they were satanic, as if they do not offer anything in this life. That is indeed a very wicked thing. And that's why Jesus had, he has so much to say about the Pharisees. He has so much to say about many people who call themselves the people of God and afflict God's people. So be aware of that. You are not to afflict anyone, but especially another Christian. Point number two, the final judgment should comfort believers now. <clears throat> Paul says this in the second part of verse five. And again, these, that's, these Christians in Thessalonica really need to hear this. It says that you may be considered worthy Worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. So what does it mean to be counted worthy? What does he mean by that? Well, negatively, it doesn't mean that they merit the kingdom of God. It does not mean that. But what it does mean is that they are polished, made ready. Their hearts are, are filled with the love and the desire for the kingdom of God to be advancing and for the kingdom of God to come down. And oh, how much we are waiting for the new Jerusalem, where God makes all things new, that new city. And it's not because we're going to be walking on streets of gold. It's because God is going to be there. And no more sin. No more sin, no more unrighteousness, no more disease, no more affliction. That is what we want. We want our God, and, and we want to see him fully exalted up among the earth. And so that's what it means. This is what affliction, this is why sometimes we are to be thankful as we go through afflictions. And I believe this is what James is talking about. In James chapter one, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Psalm 119, verse 71. This is David says, it is good. It's good for me to be a Philippine. Why? So that I might know your statutes. Man, David really, really understood his Lord, and he really understood how this works. And so affliction does come upon believers, and we are to be comforted that we are, be, we are to be counted worthy of receiving the kingdom of God. And part of what affliction does, it has us to denounce the world. My love and desire for each and every one of you is to fall out of love with the world and fall more and more in love with Christ, with your God, with the Holy Spirit being upon you. And I believe this is exactly, again, what, what, what Jesus is saying in Luke 13, 23, Luke 13, verses 23 to 30. It says, and someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? It's a good question. Good question. And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. 
For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. But you yourselves are cast out. And people will come from east and west. That's you. People will come from east and west, from north and south, and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, and behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. It's exactly what we are experiencing. It's exactly what's going to happen. So the Spirit of Christ will have us to denounce the world. Where does this comfort come from? The comfort is that they inherit the kingdom of God, which they suffer. The kingdom of God right now is present. It's here again. It's, it's again, it's here in this worship service. This is how the kingdom comes, by the gospel proclamation, by the sacraments being given, by the prayers of the saints. The kingdom of heaven is indeed here, but we are also looking forward to that heavenly kingdom that comes down and there will be a new heavens and a new earth. And right here, again, this right here is, again, Pastor Lewis said it many times, this is a dress rehearsal of that kingdom um, that we are waiting for. And so remember what the Lord Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Remember what Paul says in Romans 8:17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. Believe this? This is something that you are indeed receiving. You are heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And so that is point number two. The final judgment should comfort believers now. So by application, keep yourself from murmuring and complaining of affliction. This is indeed something God has decreed for all Christians in some way, shape, or form to go through. And by the way, why did you become a Christian in the first place? Why? Is it really, is it really because that, as is offered today, Jesus has a good life for you, you know? Is that the reason? I remember when I, when I, again, when I became, I wasn't a Christian yet, but I was reading the Bible, and I read the passage in Luke where it said, if you don't hate your father, your mother, and even your own life, you're not fit to be my disciple. I wanted to throw the book and said, I'm done with this. But I kept going by God's grace. And by the time I got to John, that's when I became uh, understanding of who Jesus is. Why do I need him? Why am I, why am I called a sinner? And that is the reason why um, you submit yourself and you run to him. You deny yourself. You take up your cross daily. I don't think we understand what that means. Take up your cross, your cross daily. 
Don't wear it around your neck. Take up your cross daily on your back. Daily. And follow the Lord Jesus Christ. That's from day one of being a Christian. So, again, if you look at come to Christianity to have your best life now, oh, man, this, this is not it. This is not it. So there is no escaping this. Now, I know there are, there are pre-mills, there are post-mills, and there are R-mills, and all types of strange creatures in between here. But whatever your eschatology is, it does not matter. There is no escaping this. There is no escaping that this, this comfort that we are to have even while we are going through affliction. And so there is a fleshy part of us that likes the prosperity gospel. That's why it's so popular. That's why they have their, have their, uh, their congregations filled with people because our flesh loves that. It loves to, to experience that. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is indeed the Lord Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins, being raised for our justification, and we are united to him. And therefore, as we go through affliction, we are reminded that we are united to him in his death. <clears throat> and so um, that's application number one on that. But there's another application. Knowing these things, this should strengthen your faith. You are going to receive a crown whenever the Lord announces you as righteous. You receive that crown, and you obviously going to lay that crown at his feet. Like, I don't deserve this. What's going on? Why are you doing this? But he would gladly put it back on you and lift you up. This is a joyful thing that we should realize even as we are going through affliction. And he will give you the desires of your heart. If you truly desire the kingdom of God and its righteousness, he indeed is going to give it to you. And doesn't that bring you joy? Doesn't that bring you comfort? Doesn't that make you say, Lord, quickly, come, quickly. Point number three, the final judgment, um, God will give the, the wicked eternal affliction. As this is explicitly what Paul states in verse six, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who, are, those who afflict you. Now, <laughs> again, talking about the Old Testament and the Old Testament um, going along with the New Testament as well. This is lex talionis right here. Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. But this is a spiritual one that comes at the end of the age. Affliction for affliction. That's exactly what these people will endure. They will indeed have affliction. Affliction for affliction. Lex talionis. This is what we see. This is what we call divine retribution. Divine retribution. Retributive justice. As you afflict the Christians, they will, and you will indeed receive affliction. Now, I believe this is what Paul is getting. Um, this is from Isaiah 66, verse 6. As this is the ending, and this is the sounding of the judgment, it says, The sound of an uproar from the city, a sound from the temple, the sound of the Lord, rendering recompense, recompense to his enemies. 
That's exactly what they receive. And so this is something that the church as a whole, as they realize that who their enemies are, they see their enemies being afflicted, who afflicted them. But also personal. Jeremiah experienced this. Jeremiah uh, verses 20, verse 11. But the Lord is with me as a dread warrior. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me. They will be greatly shamed, for they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. And that day, the sinners definitely will experience the divine retribution of our God. And so that's why personal vengeance is not to be done. That's why Jesus, the lex talionis, will be in the final stage. That's where everything will be repaid upon our enemies. And so personal vengeance is not to be done. God is indeed our avenger. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 30, for we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Hebrews 10, 30. And again, this affliction is eternal. It flies in the face of those who believe that there is no eternal punishment for, for sinners in hell. It's eternal affliction. It's not something that's temporary. It's not something... Give the gospel to someone who is who loves Satan and loves all types of evil and wicked things and tell them that on the last day, he's gonna, you're just going to feel a little bit of pain. He's just going to annihilate you. No. This is an eternal affliction that you will indeed experience if you never come to know who God is. And so quickly, that is point uh, number three. I will move quickly to point number four and then have some concluding applications on that. Uh, in the final judgment, God will give his people rest. That's the, that's the switch. Instead of affliction, we get rest, which actually that's what this word in the Greek means. It means a rest from affliction, a rest, a rest from trouble that you are experiencing. And that's exactly what we see in the first part, first part of verse seven. And to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, and by us, Paul means all his men, all their ministers, all their leaders. Silas, Timothy, Apostle Paul, and many of those, those apostles. This will be a rest from their present trouble, and their rest will indeed be in the Lord. They will experience the Lord fully. Um, their position will be made known to all as we have read in Luke uh, 13. They will see the terrible vengeance upon the wicked and their full deliverance will indeed be perfected. They will receive the refutes of their labor. Again, not merit. This is, this is something that the Holy Spirit has worked in us. Love, joy, patience, um, kindness, gentleness, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit that has been poured out upon you as you believe and trust in the Lord. And so they receive the fruits of their labor and the trouble that they have experienced. Are you going through trouble? How many people are mocking you? It might be some in, even in your own family that's mocking you. All that trouble that you have afflicted, 
God will reward you. Rest. No more of that. And the new heavens and the new earth. <clears throat> Their main reward, of course, though, is God himself. Hebrews chapter uh, 3, verse, no, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 16. I hear and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters in, into my bones, my legs tremble beneath me, yet, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. And you know the context of that prayer. Habakkuk knows that his people, God's people, will indeed be afflicted by their enemies. And he's waiting on it but he's also waiting for God to take vengeance. And by the way, that's what we've been singing about, even from the beginning of the service. The call of worship was all about that. That's exactly what this whole service is trying to, uh, to help us to understand. Uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 13, it says, Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing and glory of God, our great Savior, God and Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. And so that is our main reward, the Lord Jesus Christ, the triune God, experiencing, fellowshipping with our God for all eternity. And so by application of those, that, those point three and four, forbear patiently with everyone. Forbear patiently with everyone. Give unbelievers the gospel. Don't inflict uh, vengeance upon them. Indeed, speak the gospel to them. For this is the way, this is what happened to the Apostle Paul. He persecuted the Christians. And indeed, he was, he, he found out what the gospel was through the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he was changed. And God is still changing people to this very day. But never, ever take vengeance. Vengeance is of the Lord. Many people are going to persecute you, and there are many people who are going to afflict you. It might be some people. It might be your spouse. It might be your children who show you affliction. But don't take vengeance. You know why? Because, and I've said this before in, in one sermon, you are not to take vengeance because... One of the, the main reason, because, is the Lord Jesus Christ took the cross and all the vengeance was put out upon him. All the affliction that you experience, all that vengeance was put out upon him. And so if that person is a Christian who is afflicting you, as they are in Christ, God has already repaid the vengeance upon Christ. But if it's not a Christian, someone who is an unbeliever, there will be vengeance on the last day. And you have no power over any one of those. You might as well just rest in your God and let him fight your battle with regards to those afflictions. Do not be envious of the wicked, which is what we just sung. They're not getting away with anything. Continue to give them the gospel. But to all those who are faithful, whether you be ministers, whether you be elders, deacons, anybody who is in this congregation, know that your redemption is near. It is coming close. And all believers 
here who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, they are your companions. And therefore, we all say amen, saying, come, Lord Jesus, come. But where is your true resting place? Is it God? Is your resting place in God alone? If it's not, then you indeed will not be ready. Your heart will not be made ready for that kingdom that comes upon this earth. Because, it's, again, it's not going to be seeing everybody in your family that you want, to, want there to be, to be there in heaven. It's not indeed just you experiencing health, restoration. It's, that's not what makes heaven heaven. What makes heaven heaven is the Lord Jesus Christ, our God, being there and having full communion with our, with our God. And so, finally, which kingdom are you in? Are you in the kingdom of Satan? Or are you in the kingdom of our God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ? How do you know? The way you know this is you surrender your life to him. You take, you run away from your sin and believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as being your Savior. And if you indeed are trusting and resting in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are safe. You are safe from the wrath to come. Most people don't understand when they say when they're saved. What are you saved from? Not saved from just the devil. You saved from God himself. And God indeed is saving you as you trust in him. Now may all praise be given to our most high God. For he is holy and he is just, and he indeed is our sanctuary. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this reminder um, that as we go through affliction, Lord, that you are indeed, indeed with us. Thank you, Lord, for this reminder. And we pray, Lord, that you would indeed have us to endure all the trials and temptations that we uh, go through in this life. Help us not to murmur and complain as we are prone to do. But help us, Lord, to always enter your sanctuary and be reminded that you are with us, Lord. We know your judgment is just, and may you, O oh Lord, get the glory as we anticipate the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maranatha, Maranatha, O oh Lord, come, please. Amen.